All right, who's ready for the weekend? I know y'all are. Even though it's been a short week, still, first weekend technically of the year. Let's enjoy it, but you got to come through me, RSB, before you get there. The Robert Scott Bell Show is on Friday, uh, let's see, January 5th, 2024 edition. Uh, great show lineup. We're going to talk about good guys and bad guys in the movies. Yeah, who, why not? Let's do that. Also, uh, Scott McKay, hour one. I know some of you thought it's the Patriot Street Fighter. It's a different Scott McKay. Two, two people could have the same name. Could happen. Anyway, good guy. He's got a book out called Racism, Revenge, and Ruin. It's all Obama. Ooh, that sounds interesting. The homeopathic hit of the day. You want to relax? You want to chill? Yeah, it, it's it's the remedy of the day. You're going to have to go there and learn about it at robertscabbell.com. Until we do it, in an hour two, the return, the triumphant return of where's Waldo? No, where's Michael Bolden? The 10th Amendment Center. He's on the Robert Scott Bell Show second hour before we hit the weekend. So thank you all for being here. Let's uh, get this healing party started right about now. The Robert Scott, the Bell, Robert Show. Scott Bell Show. The voice of health, freedom, and liberty. Here's Robert Scott Bell. Is everything old, it, uh, new, actually? Everything old is new again? It's the new year, and I'm like, I don't even know what's going on behind me with uh, uh, the, the picture I normally have, Super Don. I'm like, what am I doing wrong here? But uh, we are starting out the new year. And I feel like, how did we get to the first weekend of the year already? I, I think uh, I, I lost Monday somewhere along the way. Uh, we've got a lot to do today heading into the weekend. Very excited to have Michael Bolden back on. Uh, Michael Bolden from the 10th Amendment Center in hour two. We have Scott McKay in the first hour. It's not the Patriot Street Fighter, Scott McKay, a different guy you're going to like. And he's written an uh, interesting, fascinating new book we'll cover as well. We got a lot more healing to go before I even get started here. Super Don, can you open up your microphone so I can look behind me and figure out what the heck's going on with my monitor? Because I don't know. I, you know, I, I think <clears throat> it's funny because we were talking about, there. oh, there you go. I, I like the solid black thing there. It was almost like uh, like uh, uh, kind of a Darth Vader thing going on there. Well, and it's perfect timing for that. <laughs> Let me see if I can get that going. I think I got it right. But yeah, the Darth yeah. Vader reference is cool. And by the way, your shirt rocks. You like that? Heck, if you guys aren't seeing this on video, you, you don't like even that? know what you're missing. Uh -huh. Every little... 80s hair metal band and beyond on Super Don's shirt. That's I right. Winger, Twisted Sister. Yeah, obviously Aerosmith. Great White, ACDC, Bon Jovi, right? Dude, talk about metal Poison, attack. Slaughter, Dawkins, Warrant. They're all there. Our first hour guest, in fact, was talking about going to a Quiet Riot concert in Louisiana. That's so right. I think That's we're right. all in good stead here today as far as where we're going with the show. It's just kind of, you know, a, a, a Friday thing. And also, with all the new openings and, you know, the, the imaging that you did for the new year, I'm like, I'm doing a new show. It's like, yeah, there you so go. I say everything's old. It's new. It's Do bad. you feel underdressed now? Not really. I, no, I feel right. underprepared. It's like, oh. when does that intro end and the show start? Not, I'm going to have, you know. Dude, you're, you're handling it just like a pro. Well, you wouldn't yeah. even know. 25 years in, I better be. That's, That's all right. I'm saying, you know, or else. 
Uh, listen, we got uh, a lot to do. Finally, Bolden's back on in hour two. We'll get to that. Uh, but as we open with the reference to Darth Vader and Star Wars and stuff, there's an interesting Brownstone Institute article from Bill Rice. It says the dark side of the force isn't actually paved in black. And it, it's not a movie review article. It's kind of a review of art imitating life, imitating art, etc. In reference to the Star Wars, uh, I guess, universe, right? We all know when we first, those of us old enough, when we first saw it, it was just overwhelming, amazing. The serials of the 1940s kind of stuff, you know, I kind of a, in that era, the 70s to the 80s, there was a lot of resurgence. Science fiction was happening, kind of cool stuff. And of course, the broad brushes of good versus evil that are archetypal throughout the history of humanity were painted fairly directly, fairly obviously. Although the stormtroopers wore white, so that kind of threw things off. It's like, are they good guys or bad guys? But as you go further into the mythology, you find out at one point, the empire was there to protect you. You know, they sold it. The emperor Palpatine was like, I'm here to lead the Republic into a new era and you can trust me. And it, and it turns out he was the evil emperor all the time. And, you know, of course, Darth Vader was an obvious bad guy, but in this opinion piece article, it points out our interpretation of good and evil in the real world is kind of messed up because in the real world during COVID and even for some people, even today after COVID, believe it or not, they would, probably nominate Darth Vader for a Nobel prize like Anthony Fauci for warning us about the impending doom and making sure that everybody wore 10 masks and, and got a hundred jabs and all of that. There are still people out there that believe Darth, what the guy's name, Fauci Vader is a good guy. And in so many ways, those that worship government still show fealty to the power structure of government, even in the United States, where our founding fathers explicitly warned us to not trust the government, even if you put somebody who you like and who's good into government, that the risk is, of course, that they will be enamored by the power that they are part of and begin to stretch and reach beyond the confines, the change of the Constitution that should bind them down to limit their behavior. And instead, surreptitiously, subtly, over time, change this like Jonathan Emord wrote about in The Authoritarians from the progressive era of the 19th century to today. Whereas there was a slow but insidious move away from a Republican form of government to establish an administrative state, otherwise known as a bureaucratic oligarchy, which could be shaped easily into socialism, fascism, communism any ism that is not republicanism. And most candidates for president, even Bobby Kennedy, who I like, still going on about democracy, 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 democracy. I get, I don't know if you're as annoyed by that as I am. And, you know, maybe it's like the, you know, the grammar Nazis of, of, of uh, generation X that we are. Like we look at the millennials and their inability to spell things and we get a little annoyed. Okay, it's not the end of the world to do that, but it is potentially the end of America to not know the form of government that we are supposed to have, according to you know our founding documents from the Declaration of Independence, Articles of Confederation to the Constitution, which guarantees a Republican form of government, not a democracy. What does that mean? It's representative, sure. There's elements of democratic principles in terms of voting, but is it a democracy? No, that would be a horrible thing. You don't want that. 
the classic case of democracy, and this is a repeat for some of you, but if you're new to the program, maybe you've never heard this, to what? I do I do the health version of it. This is, I like the health version better, even though I'm going to have to do probably both. But two oncologists, right? Allopathic medical doctors, oncologists, cancer doctors, and a homeopath like me voting on how to take care of cancer. Who, who wins that? It's a democracy. There's two oncologists. There's only one homeopath. The homeopath, sorry. Majority rules, you're screwed. Even if you know chemo is deadly, more deadly than the cancer you might suffer with. Democracy. That's so great, right? Now, the other more common description of democracy is two wolves and a sheep. This would be a far side cartoon, of course, animating animals into human status. Sometimes the humans are more like animals, and I don't mean in a good way. Two wolves and a sheep voting on what to have for dinner. You know, we're having lamb tonight. Yeah, the vote, it's rigged. It's a majority rule. Hey, what's wrong with democracy? Because it's the majority rule, the tyranny of the majority is desperately dangerous. For those of us who believe in health, freedom, and healing liberty, you found out somewhere along the way that you were in the minority when it comes to the government vote, right? Even if you thought you had a representative government, you voted a Congress critter in or voted for president, and then they got in and they participated in the largest usurpation of bodily autonomy in the history of America with COVID injection mandates. And yes, even as much as I like a lot about what Trump has done or might do if he gets back in, that was a dud. That's an understatement. The majority of Republicans are enamored with pharmaceutical pseudoscience. There are very rarely are people like Jonathan Emord who sees through this. And regardless of even his beliefs about, for instance, teetotaler, is that the name? You don't drink alcohol? He's defended companies, or one particular company that innovated an additive, a natural botanical additive to alcohol that made it less harmful to the liver. And he went to bat all the way up to the, the FDA, the FCC, FTC, to be able to promote this as a safer form of alcohol, which it is. He doesn't drink, but he defends those freedoms for those who want to and thought this would be a great thing for people so they'd be less harmed by drinking alcohol. Just to point out, again, principle over even your own personal beliefs about a thing, right? You might not agree with it, but how often do we say we defend the right of those with whom we disagree to speak out, promote their agenda, but to capture the government and alter the form of government we have without quote unquote constitutional amendment, you would have to overturn the clauses, the statements in our constitution that guarantee a Republican form of government. And that includes at the state level too. And you got a bunch of these socialists, avowed socialists taking an oath to uphold the constitution. What are they even doing in office? They shouldn't even be running because to take that oath is violative of their belief system and their behavior based on their belief system. It's fine to believe in socialism if that's what you like, but to go into the U.S. government and try to corrupt it. Again, this has been going on a long time, generations now from progressive era, 19th century forward. We didn't get here overnight. So the discussion in this Brownstone Institute article is observing, you know, the Star Wars phenomenon where it's pretty obvious to see who the bad guys are. And the first one, especially 
you know, as they went into other movies in the next series, they weren't as good as gripping as the initial phases of, of the first three movies we, we witnessed in the seventies to the eighties. But there was more subtlety in one sense to say the emperor was really not the good guy. Like many people are perceiving that we have an opportunity to elect a political savior or two or 10. I'm philosophical about these things as much as, again, I would like, I don't have Trump derangement syndrome, nor do I have Trump warship syndrome. Or Bobby Kennedy, who I really like. I think he's a man of great integrity. Having him in, or our last great candidate for president, Ron Paul. Even having him in as president wouldn't change everything. Because the emo- momentum, the inertia, everything about the deep state, the, the progressive air, all of that, there's a lot to overcome. We talked about steering a ship. It takes a while to do that. But each one of us has a, a duty and I believe an obligation to step up and defend the freedom that we would want for ourselves and our family and our children, much less for everybody else, including those with whom we disagree. You're not a bad guy if you disagree with me. I would hope you don't think I'm a bad guy if I disagree with you. It's one thing, though, to take maybe disagreements and go into government and say, you know what, I'm going to outlaw that disagreement. Now, if it's a form of government that we are not supposed to have according to our founding documents, again, you, you have to discern between the two. That doesn't mean we are for censoring people who are socialist and their ability to speak out about socialism that I think is greatly evil because it's rooted in collectivism. This is not Republican or Democrat for those of you thinking about that because there are plenty of socialist Republicans too. The system of ism of collectivism starts that downward spiral away from the, the acknowledgement and the recognition of your divinity, of my divinity, and that our rights come from God, not government. And yes, I believe you have the freedom to be an atheist if you want, to not believe in God. That's fine. But if you want to use government to stop us or me from believing in it or practicing what I believe, that is violative. Fundamental freedom of choice, of agency, which I believe is second only to the gift of life and in, import, in importance. So when we talk about good guys and bad guys, they're always going to be that. There's and, and, and there's discernment in terms of what you believe is good and bad might be a little bit different from person to person. I would say fundamentally, if we get down to the common law, we might consider this as the common place of agreement or disagreement. Do you believe in the right to bodily autonomy, self-autonomy, self-rule, self-governance, sovereignty? And do you acknowledge that that self-rule, self-government, sovereignty, autonomy stops where another's autonomy, sovereignty begins. These are golden rule type principles. Richard Mayberry, uh, my buddy Brad Zalas mentioned, you know, recommended books by Richard Mayberry. I think we would be benefited by all reading Richard Mayberry books. One of them, the, the, the uh, what was that? The, uh, whatever happened to justice? That was it. Whatever happened to, I read these to my kids, including whatever happened to Penny Candy. But the justice book is fascinating because it boiled down pretty much all the world's religions to some kind of, what can we find in common? Not that everybody's living up to them, but just say, what can you find in common in those texts? And he, he said, the two laws, do all you have agreed to do, which is the basic of, uh, basis of contract law agreements, and do not encroach on other persons or the property. You know, tort, uh, you know, criminal law, you're violating the right to life, liberty, or property of someone else. You think we could get along if we had just got that down? You could teach, I guess, elementary school students about it, whether they engage in it or not, but I think maybe easier than some adults that are, you know, live their life completely in violation of those things. So they could be wearing the proverbial white hat, but they could be very devious and dangerous criminals. 
because the bad guys come in with the what the most dangerous words you can hear. Reagan said this. I'm from the government. I'm here to help. They come in with the even if they have good intentions, the recognition is they have to steal. They have to enslave or imprison you in order to capture you to do the bidding of those who are in control of government at any time. And you might like who's in control right now, but if you you know are okay with the power that they have, get ready because someone else is coming in next time and you're not going to like it then. Which is, again, why our founder said, look, you do not want to centralize power. You want to minimize the power government has and disseminate as much as it to local levels so you can have closer to what we call self-governance, which was not something considered under the, uh, you know, the ages of kings and queens and emperors. That's why the great grand American experiment is on the precipice of failure. If we do not come to our senses and recognize the reason it was established was to defend individual liberty, not run roughshod over it to establish some other form of uh, a state sanctioned religion, which is what many of the people that came to the continent of, of America were fleeing religious persecution. They came for spiritual freedom. And then our founders established a government that would provide for the maximum great terrain or environment where people could be free to live their dreams, to live as they humbly or however outrageously, as long as they violated the rights of no one else in the process. Seems like pretty reasonable, except now, apparently, if you believe in this level of freedom, we talked yesterday with a former CIA guy and they turned the CIA after winning the Cold War, right? All of that. They turned the, the, uh, the microscope on Americans who believed in freedom. And wanted to start a narrative to say, hey, it's homegrown terrorism. The people that actually believe in the Constitution, the founding documents, they're all a bunch of white racist supremacists. You follow the dialectic that is made. And then they divide Americans who would otherwise be getting along because we all believe in freedom, black, white, red, yellow, whatever. Or we can pinpoint every every uh, bad thing that any American has ever done or the conquering of the land, the Native Americans who are here and, you know, the history of the planet is filled with stories of conquerors and the conquered, then the assimilation, the change, the transformation. But never in recorded history has there been a country founded on defense of individual liberty and acknowledgement that you get your rights from a creator, God, not government. And therefore, the government was instituted just to protect or defend those rights, not to run roughshod or trample upon them. So the subtlety of the bad guys being the good guys under the guise of health, Public health. We want to protect you from pandemics, from endemics, from epidemics, from infection. In the in the face of the abject failure that every time they want to attack the pandemic, prevent you from getting it, or they end up causing more chaos, just death, destruction, dismemberment, disease, etc. And who are the ones that were correct in all of this? Those that are not in the club, like George Carlin said, "Big club, you ain't in it." The homeopaths the naturopaths, the chiropractors, the herbalists, the energy healers, those that work with nutrition, they're still not invited to the table. With rare exception, do you have breakthroughs like Joseph Latipo? Yeah, we were scheduled on Monday to have him, but I've got a travel day. I'll talk about a little bit later about that. But a surgeon general actually has a wife that's very holistically oriented and he's willing to see through it and stand up and you know, kudos to DeSantis, whether you like him or hate him. He's done amazing things in Florida. Doesn't mean he's pure as the driven snow. We did a, a documentary called Utah Safe and Effective. We pointed out that just about every Republican and every Democrat was wrong, dead wrong on COVID. 
even if some of them have made correction, course corrections, and we're grateful for that. But acknowledge that if you look to the politicians to save you, you're looking in the wrong place. This doesn't mean I don't want or support Jonathan Emore to become a U.S. senator from Virginia to defeat Tim Kaine. We'll all be benefited by that because he's a man of great constitutional fealty, constitutional knowledge, principle. He can't be bought. We've seen that very rare. And even Ron Paul has endorsed Jonathan Emore. Doesn't mean we're all saved. Jonathan Emore's in the Senate. We want him in there. I do. But we still all have to work to defend liberty on an individual, local, family, et cetera, community basis. So with that, we're going to welcome our newest guest and friend to the Robert Scott Bell Show. He's got, uh, among a few websites, theheyride.com. You can see this. He's in the South, Louisiana. He's got a new book out as of last November, Racism, Revenge, and Ruin. It's all Obama. It's not the other Scott McKay that you know, Patriot Street Fighter. It's a different one, but he's a cool guy too. Scott McKay, welcome to the Robert Scott Bell Show. Thanks, Robert. Appreciate you having me. Scott, happy to have you on. Other than your beard is way better than a beard I could ever do. I always get intimidated by all these beards I can't do, but welcome anyway. Well, it took a while, but, uh, you know, with a certain amount of neglect, you can grow a beard like this. All right. Well, let me ask you this, opening up just to set the the stage for you as a new guest to the show. Anything I say offend you, deeply disagree with, and, you know, in opening this up. And I'm not looking for you to agree with everything, but, you know, just from the heart, what do you feel about uh, you know, where we're starting today. No, I think you're exactly right. And, and I can throw a story in that's maybe a little off track, but I think is, is, uh, is, uh, you'll, you'll, uh, appreciate, yeah. uh, you know, a couple of years back, uh, went on a Christmas vacation with the family, um, and everybody got COVID. And of course I'm the only one that, that didn't take the jab. So, uh, <laughs> you know, mm. I came down with it first and they came later and, you know, uh, when I a couple of days later started recovering and they started getting it and, you know, you know they're all furious because they took the jab. Like, how, how am I getting COVID? And I was like, well, yeah. you know, but anyway, so two or three days later, I'm getting better, but I, I can't kick it. Right. It's still, I mean, you know, I'm full of phlegm and I'm miserable, but I'm not like dying the first day and a half. I thought I was going to die, mm-hmm. um, but it's get, getting better. I call a doctor friend of mine. And this is at this point, it's, uh, late December of 2021. Um, you know, and I called uh, you know, a buddy of mine. Said, look, I understand ivermectin works on this. Get me ivermectin, will you? He said, look, I'll write you a prescription. You're not going to find a pharmacist that'll fill it. And I'm like, that's crazy. What are you talking about? He goes, no, seriously, you can't mm-hmm. find a pharmacist that will fill this because they're all afraid they're going to lose their license. And I'm like, no, come on. That's mm-hmm. what kind of country is this? He goes, I agree. But this is the reality. And then he tells me this. He goes, if I were you, what I would do is I would go get a gigantic bottle of vitamin D and take 50,000 IUs a day until it goes away. And I'm like, well, OK, like I've not heard anything about it. He goes, I know. Go and do this. And I did. And let me tell you something. 50,000 IUs of, of, uh, of vitamin D, that's that's work <laughs> to take all that. But four days later, I was fine. I was absolutely fine. And, you know, and like I, I started Googling, like how much can, uh, um, how much literature is there on this and all this kind of stuff? Nothing, absolutely nothing. And I, I, it amazed me that the public was completely ignorant of ways that you could actually cure this, right? Um, with something that's easily available off the counter, you know, over the counter. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that was when I lost total faith in the medical establishment at all. Mm -hmm. And of course, 
I'd already lost 99% of it because the rest of the family uh, had all taken the jab and it didn't stop them from getting COVID. Like, right. Like so it Scott, didn't even what, stand in the way. What you're bringing up is a very common experience for Americans Absolutely. who otherwise, you know, believe in freedom and think we're a free country or have thought for a long time. And yeah, there's, there's warts and all, you know, there's part of the, the nature of reality and in, in, in life anywhere. Uh, but the worshipfulness, the uh, the exalted status of the medical community, uh, would you agree has has taken a major hit, even though I've been at this for 25 years, 30 years as a homeopath, pointing out all that's wrong with them. Yeah. Not to say I want to ban them, but, dude, they don't belong as a monopoly. Nothing does. Uh, yeah. So this was a major wake up call and, and still people are struggling with it. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you, you, you spend your entire life being coached to have faith in the establishment, not just in medicine, but a whole bunch of other things. And uh, something like COVID comes along where that is actually given a stress test and it fails spectacularly. I mean, a COVID should blow apart any uh, faith that people have that, uh, you know, that medical science is absolute because it's absolutely not. And in fact, what's called medical science is often not science, right? I mean, you know, you can just go back to the whole point of, you know, wear a mask Mm -hmm. when this is essentially a bad case of the flu. The microbes are very similar to the flu and a mask doesn't work for the flu. But all of a sudden, it's the only thing that's going to save you from getting COVID, which was absurd at the very beginning. Um, And yet you're supposed to pay attention to what these people say and obey uh, and if you try to dis, you know, dissent from it, then they ban you from Facebook, right? Mm, uh, yeah. And so, you know, like the last three or four years, we've gone through this, and it has really been an eye opener for a lot of folks that, you know, just kind of follow like, hey, I'm just, I'm, I'm normal, and I'm going to pay attention to what people say. And what you find out is, you know, normal just means in a lot, in too many cases, that you're going along with a lie. And yeah. uh, I, you know, I think part of the problem that you see or at least that you perceive if you glue your eyes to the television and in Mm -hmm. particular legacy corporate media is they're screeching a lot right now. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's because people don't buy the narratives that they push. Right. I mean, like at all, there's, you know, the, the, the video that's like popping all over Twitter is this video of Vivek Ramaswamy um, being interviewed by uh, Dasha Burns from MSNBC who is absolutely unhinged at the responses that he gives her because he refuses to accept their narratives about racism. Right. Um, And of course, here's where I'm going to segue into the book a little bit uh, Mm -hmm. because, you know, one of the main themes of racism, revenge and ruin is how Barack Obama established those current narratives about racism, which were way more expansive than, uh, than were noted in America before he came along, right? I mean, back in 2006 or 2007, which really were sort of the zenith of American race relations. Um, we, you know, when you mentioned the word racism, people thought of the Klan. They thought of people telling, you know, offensive uh, stories or whatever. And, and um, you know, the definition of racism was thinking that maybe like your race was just inherently better than the other race. Barack Obama comes along at that zenith of race relations with the um, the value proposition that uh, if you make this guy president, okay, it's going to prove America is not a racist country because how could a racist country elect a black guy, right, mm-hmm. as president? 
And it was the greatest bait and switch in American political history because within a couple of years, and it was a whole bunch of incidents that, you know, that kind of poked at, at or picked at scab. Um, sooner or later, racism was anything that talked about race, particularly if you came from a, you know, unprotected group. You can't even you can't even say something that doesn't have anything to do with race or else you're a racist. And I'll give you you mentioned RFK Jr. I'll mm-hmm. give the perfect example of how far along we went down this idiotic path was, you know, he talked about COVID and he talked about how there were ge- different genetic markers that um, uh, drove to some extent the outcomes of COVID and particular people who were Chinese and people who were um, Ashkenazi Jews tended to do better in COVID with COVID than other folks and people of African uh, descent did worse. Okay. So, and he mentioned this sort of almost in a strategic concept, content, uh, context, excuse me, that, um, you know, if you know these things, then it's possible that somebody could maybe use a bio warfare application to that to affect people of certain nationalities. Mm-hmm. Which none of which is a racist thing. That's like that's a strategic thing, and it's actually a smart thing to talk about. It's like this is this is scary. Like this could be done. And he he's in front of some congressional hearing, and here's Debbie Wasserman Schultz screaming at him that he's an anti-Semite, yeah, right? I remember. But like, I have nothing to do with anti-Semitism. I just mentioned something that's true and talked about how it could potentially have uh, an application in a military context, right? That's not a racist thing. And back in 2006 or before then, Debbie Wasserman Schultz couldn't have done that because they were going to laugh her out of school. After 15 years of Barack Obama, who came on board as the racial healer and the guy that was going to make all of this go away, and we were going to finally realize Martin Luther King's dream of a colorblind society. Before you know it, it's, you know, it's if I had a son, it looked like Trayvon. And the police acted stupidly in the Skip Gates case that ended up being the beer summit, right? All the way to hands up, don't shoot with Michael Brown. And before you knew it, we were tearing each other apart on the basis of race in this country. And racism and race was used as a wedge to create mm-hmm. all kinds of abuses that the American people would have never tolerated under different circumstances. Yeah. Well, you you said that so well and, and and laid it out framed it well you know thinking about the post-racial world you would elect uh in america a president who happens to have more pigment than any other president before you know if we talk about it and then race relations tank uh, yeah. and, and i don't think that's true individually like because on an individual basis when you see people as individuals you could give a flip less about what their color of their skin is and on and on it goes but they utilized this and fomented it in a collectivist manner which is why i brought up earlier about democracy and other things that collectivism is the basis of all evil in uh you know let's say uh forms of government you know the isms particularly communism socialism things like that where you deny the individual uniqueness and specialness of each of us whether we have one racial background or not mattered not and you know the arguments we hear about what what happened you know to uh, you know establishing a basis of meritocracy that is you achieve because you are you know excellent at something or many things that you rise the ranks in any given thing now was there in the history of america or other areas of the world institutionalized racism where people of color could not achieve because there were barriers placed yes nobody i think would deny that but at this point 
There are so many examples of people who have risen up and beyond it. But to me, this isn't only about economics, even though economics is a big play here in terms of who gets a slice of the proverbial pie. I think that's also a Hegelian dialectic play, you know, dividing people who have some money, people who don't or anybody in between, you know, in terms of class warfare. But I look at the ability to achieve what are your wildest dreams? There are many people in our culture and that are born on this planet that really don't have interest in accumulating massive amounts of wealth, et cetera, a Bill Gates or whatever it is in the extreme sense that are just here to pursue happiness. What does that mean? It could mean achieving, you know, a monumental wealth, but it could just mean I want to live a life that's simple, free of these economic encumbrances. And yet like people that, for instance, this is an interesting example. This gets a little off the race issue, but I think you're game to discuss it too. Uh, we've covered stories like in Florida where somebody wanted to live off grid. They have a home. They disconnect the electricity. They provide their own electricity. They disconnect the sewage. They, they make their own, you know, bill, and, the, and the immediately government swoops in and says, no, you can't do that. Again, the, the complete opposite of what our foundation was set up for was to self determine, you know, your future, how you live. And yet that's played out again in many different dialectics. The racial one seems to have, I don't know if it still has the most mojo <laughs> in terms of division, divisiveness and emotional reaction response. But the people that I know of all backgrounds, races, religions that are not playing or falling prey to that, they get it. It's about the freedom of everybody. Yeah. Not just, Oh, I have to have special privileges in order to, you know, live in any way that's, I don't know, balanced and fair, right? This concept of fairness, that's also used against us. Yeah. Well, and I, I'll bring you back to a story and this, you'll find this in the book as well. So Obama gives an interview and I think it's like 2005 when he's like a freshly minted U.S. Senator and he's, he's talking and it was he's talking about it in a, in a racial context. He's talking about the black community, but it's very clear that this applies in his mentality across the board. Hmm. So he talks about how um, it's a mistake for people to seek individual salvation, which he's not talking about it in a religious context. He's talking about it in an economic and social context. He says, because there is no individual salvation with without collective salvation. Right. Meaning, OK, that the black community cannot succeed if like individual families go and start a business or, you know, somebody makes it out of the ghetto or whatever it might be, mm. unless there are still people left in the ghetto. Um, and of course, that is very much the Obama Democrat mentality these days is that you have to, you know, like they, in other, in other words, they won't stop talking about the minimum wage, right? Like nobody's going to come out of poverty if the minimum wage goes up. You come out of poverty when you're actually making a me, you know, middle class wage rather than a minimum wage. And yet they consistently obsess about the bottom of the economic totem pole rather than teach people skills that get them somewhere. And Obama was always mm -hmm. working on that lowest common denominator, largely because I guess there's votes there if you're a Democrat. Right. And his sure. hard left piece pursuit of, of power, which you're about. Yeah, but nobody really, gets ahead yeah. on that. And, you know, at the end of the day, you start wondering whether they care about people getting ahead. And once you examine it that way, you start yeah. realizing they don't. Yeah, no, they, they, there isn't a genuine compassion or desire to uplift everybody. It's about what is in it for me? How can I gain power, wealth, et cetera? And that's the, that's exactly. you know, the history of humanity as well. And it could come in any shape, size, color, religion, you know, people of all walks and backgrounds. We can't just g give them a gimme because they have more pigment or less pigment or whatever it is. Right. Uh, I, I find it 
fascinating, you know, this discussion of, you know, humanity, if you will. I mean, yeah. I think we need to engage in this discussion. That's why I do like Vivek Ramaswamy. I'm not endorsing him, but I like that he talks, you know, and reframes the debate instead of I'm going to fall prey to your racism, you know, accusations. You know, we need to reframe. I, 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 love, yeah. I love the way Vivek explodes bad premises to questions that he gets. Right. And you know, so like he'll spot that premise. He'll recognize, like, no, that's a wrong premise. And I, before I even touch your question, I'm yeah. going to blow up your premise. He, yeah, and and you have to do that with the with the legacy. Strategically, it's the only way you can counter it. It's not about running. I am not claiming I am not what you say I am. Say you don't even know what you're accusing me of, and exactly. this is why you don't know the definition. Right. So I, I look at uh, the the reality of human beings on planet Earth. There have always been poor people. There have always been rich people. There hasn't been a middle class really much of in the history of man, humanity until the industrial revolution and free enterprise. And, and I'm not saying that there hasn't been struggles there too, in terms of the, you know, quote unquote, slave child labor and other things, but things have evolved that we shift or change in what I call consciousness. And I'm not the only guy that say this, but there is always going to be a state of consciousness, a belief system that people carry with them, whether they're programmed in when they're at birth or through their inadvertent or purposeful that programs people into a belief system that locks them into a state of consciousness, whether it be poverty, whether it be middle class, whether you know, that we can go in class warfare, or if you're born into an uber wealthy elitist family, how your consciousness is programmed to believe that's where you are and you manifest that in your life. And that is I think a deeper spiritual understanding of co-creation of our reality. And some would say, well, you just won life's lottery because you were born into this family versus you were born into this family. Yet I think we are made and created of God and we have a purpose, a mission, and perhaps even we come in with a debt to repay or to learn from. And that this is not an endorsement of class warfare or holding people down, but it's a recognition that if you can look at someone who might be poor and black and they've been impoverished, that there's a belief system behind that and that the real way to help them is not to you know, provide them free stuff. And I'm not picking on one community. This is just the example of our discussion today. But it would be to, hey, do you know how much your belief system is manifesting this repetitive instead of going, I blame that guy, that guy, that guy, or that class of people oh, that's right. who have that's no right. responsibility in mass. There could be bad individuals in that mass, but again, it's collectivism again. And then you can live in a victim state of consciousness, which in fact reinforces the state of consciousness. So they never break free and realize that they are free by the vir by virtue of their creation, that God gave them all the, the gifts, despite any obstacle thrown in their way, because there have been people that have overcome even obstacles of institutionalized racism, which is far less than it was before. If it's arguably there, could be in medicine. There's a lot of isms in, in, in medicine as well. So I know I'm talking a lot. I don't want people yelling at me, but I love this discussion. I wanted to throw these ideas out because I know you can engage intellectually on them. Well, I would say this, uh, and I read this somewhere, and I, I, I should attribute it properly, and I, I can't remember the source, but... Um, Somebody a few years ago wrote a piece and it was fantastic saying, hey, bet you can't name me who the Al Sharptons and Jesse Jacksons are in the Irish community or the Korean community or the Italian community or the Polish community or any of these other you know, communities that we didn't even really pay much attention to anymore. Right. Mm -hmm. Because they're not even 
you know, used to be it was a big deal if you were Irish, right? Like Irish yeah. were discriminated against, the Italians were too, and all this kind of stuff. But you can't even name the civil rights leaders in those communities anymore, right? Because that that's not how they elevated themselves in America, right? It was done by family by family, right? Yeah. This one goes to college. That one starts a, a family, you know, small family business. And, and before you know it, you know, they go from, you know, people lower class in the tenements to middle class in the suburbs. And now, you know, members of the country club and nobody cares if your last name is Shaughnessy or, uh, you know, or, or uh, uh, you know, whatever. Right. And that is one of these things that I, I think Democrats have done to like the black community. They've tried to do it, the Hispanic community where, you know, it's, it's this collectivist attitude. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you mentioned Ron Paul, he said one of the, the best things that I ever freaking heard, which was racism is collectivism. What I would say yeah, is the, right. the McKay corollary to that is collectivism is often racism, right? Meaning that you, they're always looking for collectives mm-hmm. to put people into. Um, you know, initially it was class warfare, right? It was the proletariat and the bourgeoisie. And that really didn't work out so well, particularly in a country like America, where there's a ton of social mobility. So instead, it's cultural Marxism. And you've got to then come up with different ways to group people. You know, at first it's race. And obviously they've been fairly successful with that. But then it's, you know, gay versus straight. Now you've got the trans thing. You've you brought in all of the feminist stuff intersectionality and all these different things that are means of building coalitions of aggrieved groups mm-hmm. rather than just treating people as individuals. Right. And Obama was so bad about this. I mean, I can't even tell you how awful this guy was. He actually went around and this was like his big criticism of conservatives was these guys are for an atomized America where each individual is, you know, it's every man for himself. And anybody that knows anything about human nature knows that's not how it works. Right. Free people will join together voluntarily to help each other out, whether That's it's, right. you know, a little yeah. league or a church or a labor union or a men's club or, you know, or, or a garden club or whatever. People always get together. And the, com- the combination of all those voluntary groups is the civil society, which is what Western civilization is built on. So, in other words, what this guy was doing when he was arguing against conservatism, the way he framed it was it's every man for himself rather than we're all belonging to the government that takes care of us. Mm -hmm. Okay, he's basically what he's advocating for is to hollow out that civil society that we would otherwise join. And the sad piece is from 2007 to now, social scientists and, and others will tell you that we have seen a hollowing out of that civil society. Americans are much less joiners than we used to be. And we live way more of our lives on social media than we do in real life. Yeah, well, and that's dri- damaging. It's yes. terrible. Everybody's upset about it in terms of mental health in this country is, has taken a turn. People are unhappy in their lives way more than they used to be. Young people are especially unhappy about that. And I hate to say it, talk to the kids and you'll notice that social skills are not what they used to be. All right. And all of these things, I mean, did, did Obama's administration, when Facebook and Twitter were growing up the way they were, did they ever express any concern over that? No, it served their purpose to atomize people like that and to make the government the only thing that we all belong to. If you'll remember, mm-hmm. that was some, somebody actually said that at the Democratic convention, I think it was in 2016, and the rest of the country was like, <gasps> when they heard it, because it's, I mean, it's like, this is not who we are, and yet it is who the Democrats are. 
Well, at this point, unfortunately, yeah, we've seen that. And it's tribalization. Now, recognize that humans are tribal species, but the United States of America was a different play, potentially, you know, and it's its highest ideals to bring anybody from any background, religion, race, whatever, and come in and meld together and just do it differently because we believed in something that no other culture or government had at its establishment individual liberty and recognize that you don't get your rights by virtue of your membership in a group. And to your point, what Obama did was turn it back, turn time back and say, well, the rights you have are only because you're in a group and you're being denied it because your membership in a group and on and on. And again, this doesn't disavow the reality that there was a consciousness that was quite different in the development of, of humanity throughout its history, you know, in acceptance of slavery or not, uh, or, the racial animosity that took place in America and the, you know, the antebellum South uh, based on a lot of economic factors or other things, but the consciousness shifted over time. And interestingly enough, I think the United States of America was the only nation that went to war, at least in part to eliminate slavery everywhere else. It's kind of dissipated out and said, you know, this is wrong. Yeah. Did we need to have a war over it? I, I'm going to set that aside for a moment, but the point is it, it created even more division and animosity and maybe institutionalized racism because of the, uh, you know, the, 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 those who lost the war, the anger that persisted generationally even. Uh, so we talk about war as well. Uh, you know, often a collectivist ideology, you get a group of people to, you know, make an enemy of another group of people. And, ah, man, it, th this discussion is so great, Scott, and I appreciate you going with me on this. And for those of you just joining us, Scott McKay is our guest today. You can see the book behind him, Racism, Revenge, and Ruin. It's all Obama. And you can see from where he's coming, he's not a hater based on collectivist or racism. Scott's talking about the, re the real reality that the racism is the collectivism, the collectivism is a racism. And I go to the spiritual realm all the time here. That you are born of God, you are born of creation, you are a divine, unique spark of God in all of creation. Whether you have more pigment or less matters not in reality other than other people that may have, uh, let's say, a spiritually immature understanding of our reality. That we are not this body we inhabit. This is the tool that we use, the vehicle we use to transit through the, the ethers of planet Earth and what it's like on the physical plane of existence. But a spiritual maturation necessitates, if I could say it that way, our ability to see, like Martin Luther King talked about, a colorblind society. Does it mean I don't see somebody that has more pigment or less pigment? No, of course, if you're not blind physically, you see that, but it doesn't matter to you. Right. It's not a factor other than to go, okay, we look different. So what? It's awesome. You look great. Like, But but the over-identification with the body we're in is a trap. It's a trick. It's a Luciferian agenda to divide us, not to bring us together for the betterment of all of us. Agreed. And, you know, and again, um, I think if you leave people to their own devices, OK, you're, what you're going to have for the most part is folks will get along. And if you have a culture that is healthy, you will have that. Um, what I would say, and I mean, I, I'm adamant about this, adamant enough that I actually wrote the book on it, is that the last 15 years or so when we've lost so much of that mm -hmm. is not organic. It didn't just yeah. happen. This is not how society just, you know, evolved. This is being it engineered. It was contrived and it was yeah. executed and power was applied to create these things. You know, whether it was, you know, these divisive non-governmental organizations, these left-wing groups that caught massive grants from the federal government or corporate America as part of, you know, 
various things that the Obama administration did, some of these sue and settle deals, uh, these bank, you know, bank fines from the from the financial collapse in 2008. Bank of America got a discount on the fine that DOJ uh, laid on them if they gave money to preferred groups like La Raza got something like four or five hundred million dollars, for example. Right. How much damage do you think La Raza can do to race relations with a half a billion dollars? And that's the kind of thing that Obama did. We talk about it a lot in the book. Point is, they have done this to us on our own. Folks will get along. Um, and I, like I'll throw something that's a little bit off off the kilter here. But um, so the Obamas were the executive producers of this movie that showed up on Netflix a couple of weeks ago, the Leave the World Behind movie. Right. Um, and the trade press ultimately kind of comes out how he got the executive producer producer title was they sent him the screenplay and then he made notes on it to change it. Right. Supposedly to make it more realistic. Right. And what comes back if you watch this movie is the Obama worldview, like in total. Right. Julia Roberts plays this, you know, obviously Democrat. Right. Like Brooklynite, far left voter. Right. They're they're at this this Airbnb on Long Island. The guy who owns the Airbnb, who's Mahershala Ali, shows up in a five thousand dollar tuxedo driving a Mercedes. Right. He's got a thousand bucks in his pocket. He's like, Look, I own the house. I'm the guy you've been emailing uh, back and forth with. There's a power outage in the city. I can't get to my penthouse apartment. Right. Like, can we rack out in the basement? Here's a thousand bucks for your Airbnb. She's like, no. Right. Because she's racist and she won't let a black guy in the house. Right. You can go to, I mean, like backwoods Alabama and wave a thousand bucks. And that dude would be like, come on, come on in. in. Right? <laughs> nobody acts that way. Like nobody. But this is the Obama worldview. Right. And these are their voters that they have such disdain for. And the movie is about the end of the world, which isn't even a tragedy. Right. Like it's like it's just something that happens. And, yeah, this is the story. But you're not even supposed to feel bad about the fact that this happened. And that's the Obama worldview. It's like an incredibly misanthropic. Wow nihilistic, bleak sort of thing. And when you stop and think of what this country has done for these people and you know how unbelievably fabulous a life that they've led and, and you know the, the goodness of the folks giving them the benefit of the doubt, two terms as president and all of these different benefits that they've had confirmed on. And they still have this disdain for us. Hmm. It's just mind blowing, right? And yet- this is where we are. And, you know, he's the most consequential person in American politics, which should never be the case of somebody that hates us that much, has that much power over us. Right. And so, you know, I it, like I, I hope if, if anybody, you know, whatever you take from this is that which is like we get people who really don't like us, who we've given power over us and we really have to take it back. There's yeah. an election coming up, but there's all kinds of different ways that we can, you know, neuter these people in terms of their influence on us, whether it's, you know, legacy media that we that we consume or whether it's you know narratives that we allow them to plant in our heads mm -hmm. or things that we refuse to push back on because they're, you know, it's inconvenient to do so or whatever, or, you know, being worried about getting canceled for thinking or saying certain things. Man, leave that aside because it's all of it is poison. It's no good. Mm -hmm. And we've got to take our society back from folks that hate us, yeah, like legitimately hate us as people. Scott McKay, God bless you, sir. I really enjoy our conversation today and what you're doing. Uh, this book, Racism, Revenge, and Ruin, it's all Obama. 
Of course, there are more than that. But again, for the purpose of the book and what you're relating, you've, you've done a good research here. This is not in any way a racist scribe, quite the opposite. And I hope people will take the time to read the book, share the book, and maybe grow up a little bit spiritually to see this uh, as it is, as opposed to the, the worship of collectivism, which denies, again, our individual divinity, no matter what race, religion, whatever you, you, you come from or have or exhibit. Uh, Scott, are, are there any upcoming events that you're participating in? Uh, at the moment, I'm kind of stuck here in Louisiana with some stuff that we're doing. We're inaugurating Jeff Landry on Monday, who's a uh, great conservative governor uh, that, that got elected in a landslide with a with a great legislature. So um, I'm going to be working on, on that a lot. But uh, check out this book. I've got a, a column that runs three days a week at the American Spectator, which is mm -hmm. spectator.org. And like Robert said, uh, you can find my stuff at thehayride.com, which is here in Louisiana, and Reviver, R-V-I-V-R.com, which is a great national conservative site, aggregates a lot of news and video, and has a lot of original content as well. All right, Scott McKay, thanks for being on board heading into the weekend. Great conversation. Thanks, Robert. Have a good one. All right. That's great. Scott's doing good work. I could see that the first time meeting him and uh, really enjoyed. I hope you enjoyed the conversation as well. Learn some and get the book and learn even more. Now, if you're really angsty and anxious and nervous and upset, whether it be because of the discussion we just had or anything else in life, there are homeopathic remedies that can help you. And today's homeopathic hit leads right to that. So let's run it. Playing all of the homeopathic hits every day, right here on the Robert Scott Bell Show. It's funny how these homeopathic hits happen. It's like Super Don has supernatural powers. Today, it's Valeriana. Valeriana. And this homeopathic hit's going to delve into a plant you know, or maybe you should know, that was derived some substances from it into a drug that was known as Mama's Little Helper. I believe the Rolling Stones might have sung about it. But is a homeopathic quite different? I mentioned this, I think, yesterday on the show. Valerian. You know this, the valerian root? You can find it in health food stores. It's a stinky little root. You smell it. You're like, ooh, nasty. But it's often used for nervousness and sleep disturbances. Here it is, valeriana. And uh, it's very cute as a plant. A lot of botanicals are used in homeopathic medicine. Today's homeopathic hit is valeriana. It's a remedy often used for conditions related to nervousness, restlessness, and sleep disturbances. So let's explore some of those right now in our brief homeopathic hit. The origin of valeriana. You just saw a picture of it. The valerian plant. Valeriana officinalis. It's a well-known herb used for its sedative and calming properties. In fact, Big Pharma isolated, synthesized it, and it became Valium, an addictive and toxic form of something that is from nature. In homeopathy, we use it in highly dilute form to treat nervous system disorders and even sleep-related issues. So if we look at some of its key characteristics physically, we'll look at its effectiveness in treating conditions like restlessness, a symptom of restlessness, nervousness, twitchiness, insomnia. Could it be helpful for kids that are bouncing off the walls? I think kids should bounce off the walls with energy, but not drugging them out is a good thing. If you need a little homeopathic remedy, it's not going to drug them out. It's also indicated in cases of digestive issues linked to nervous tension and spasmodic muscle conditions, mentally overexcitability, restlessness, difficult concentration, settling down. Anybody feel that? Think Valeriana. Give it a try. 
Let's go through these primary uses. Again, these homeopathic hits are quick hits, but I want to give you a little broad overview. You can go deeper into your Materia Medica or search it online. Nervousness and restlessness, particularly effective for managing these symptoms. Nervous tension. Sleep disturbances. You're having trouble sleeping. Insomnia. Mind is overactive. Could it be a valeriana? Possibly. Homeopathic valeriana. Digestive issues related to nervous tension. Digestive problems exacerbated by stress or nervousness. So you got a good symptom picture. If you have a 10X or a 12X or a 12C or a 30C or 30X, use it. Repeat it as needed based on your symptoms until you see it improve or maybe it's not the right remedy. You're not going to be harmed by it. And you can switch it up and look at some of the adjuncts that I'll have in a moment. If you go to really high potencies dealing with chronic, systemic, severe issues, please consult a homeopath in that regard. I would urge you to do so. Complementary remedies to consider. Oh, isn't this interesting? Coffee Accruda. We've covered this, I believe. Coffee. You know it can cause nervousness. You drink too much, right? But as a homeopathic, it can work alongside valeriana for insomnia and the overactive mind, especially if you have a sensitivity to caffeine, for instance. Passiflora, the passion flower in homeopathy, used for general restlessness, sleep disorders, complementing it. And one of my favorite is gelsemium, the yellow jasmine, as a homeopathic and adjunct support for anxiety or fear, specific often for you're about to take a test, you're going to the dentist, and you know you could be agitated and gelsemium can help. Or you can com combine them all and chill out without poisoning yourself, drugging yourself out of the ability to operate a vehicle, for instance. So Valeriana, safe in homeopathic form, Please don't self-prescribe if you're dealing with serious, serious conditions. And if symptoms worsen, persist, get, please consult a healthcare provider of your choice. And if we conclude this, as we do, within five minutes or so, I got to wrap it up. Valeriana, valuable homeopathic remedy, particularly effective in treating nervousness, restlessness, steep sleep disturbances. And I hope you're enjoying I know many of you are these homeopathic hits. This PDF that you've seen, if you visually watch this, is available for free download in the show notes. Each day we do a new one or even if we encore it, it's there. And the homeopathic hits, the PDFs, are available along with the video version of what we present to you. You can hear me talking about it. And that's available if you become a patron supporter of the Robert Scott Bell. So please consider that as little as $4.99 a month. You're going to get so much more in return. And remember, this is an educational, informational purpose only. I'm not trying to replace a doctor if you have one or want one. But I keep reminding you that if you want one or have one, Ask them how often they have a bowel movement to determine whether they're qualified to help you or not. I'll leave it at that. So as we wrap up hour one, Scott McKay brought it, a new guest, new friend of the program. We need to get the other Scott McKay on the show. I think he was on, maybe he was on once or not, twice. The Patriots Street Friday, a different guy, but same name. Funny enough, Robert Scott Bell, that name, I get emails all the time. Are you the Robert Scott Bell that published XYZ? Apparently, I'm very well published in the medical literature. There's somebody named Robert Scott Bell that's publishing like crazy. I don't claim that I, it's me. I review and read peer-reviewed public literature all the time, but that's not me publishing. Anyway, with that, that's the homeopathic hit and more. Hour two coming up. And guess what? Our good buddy, our pal, our long lost, where's Waldo? It's where's Michael Bolden? Coming up next, he's on the Robert Scott Bell Show from the 10th Amendment Center, where he'll remind you of some cool things too. And what I'll remind you of is that the power to heal is yours. Hey, welcome. The Robert Scott Bell Show's back on, hour two. 
In just a moment, we'll be joined by our good friend, my my mom's favorite, uh, Michael Bolden. Stand by. It's going to be great. It's been a long time. Last Friday, he was bumped by Tom Woods. No, I'm just kidding. We just keep bumping him because I, I'm never showing up on Friday for work, apparently, on the week, on the days that Bolden is supposed to appear. He might be yelling at me. It's like, it's a plot. You're keeping me off the show. No, we would never. Anyway, that's coming up. Um, the, the commercial break broke. Somebody said that's funny. Uh, speaking of commercials, uh, you know, I always want to acknowledge those that support this message of health, freedom and healing liberty that have such wonderful tools to support your health, freedom and healing liberty and your ability to move about the earth cabin, at least the American cabin or any cabin you want with great health and vitality. And one of those things is the folium uh, products that we support here that has brought my mom back to life and she's about to turn 90. And by the way, my daughter and I are flying to Atlanta and we're going to see her for her birthday. So if anybody in Atlanta area wants to join me and my daughter for my mom's 90th birthday, reach out, let us know. And uh, we'll see, we'll see what's available. Uh, that's the 29th of January. Just following that is the Autism Health Summit, and that's in person. And that's uh, Tracy Slepsevic. And if you guys haven't made your plans to be there or watch it online, please do. It's going to be amazing. Uh, we'll be there 2nd and 3rd of February in San Antonio, Texas, a beautiful place, a resort uh, that's hosting it. And I look forward to seeing you all there uh, the next trip. Then we have, uh, of course, um, prior to that, it was no, no, just after that is the Health Freedom Expos uh, virtual and uh, we talked about that a little bit with uh, Jonathan Eboard yesterday, how you get three months of access. There it is, the Trinity Health Freedom Expo virtual. Right above that is the uh, the Autism Health Summit, uh, autismhealth.com. And I encourage you to, to be there or watch it online. Going to be an amazing event. Lots of good people uh, coming together. And I've got, I just was working on my PowerPoint last night because they're, they're CMEs. You have to be really intense. Speaking of published peer-reviewed literature, when you're doing a, a continuing medical education credited a presentation, you know, you'll often use peer-reviewed articles to support what you're proposing and promoting and saying. And so that was what I was working on last. I finally got that done. Uh, but there's a lot of cool stuff coming up. Also, Nutritional Frontiers, uh, they'll, they're at a lot of the events that we have coming up. Uh, also, the Functional Medicine uh, Summit and Expo, Superdon's putting that up for Atlanta. And that's March 8th through 10th. Then we have the Next Steps Conference, next-steps.info, Lake Lanier Islands outside of Atlanta also in March. And uh, I'd love to see you at one or all of those events later in the year. As soon as there's a poster up, we have the Robert Scott Bell, the RS Bell show, RSB show family reunion. Now that Leslie is hosting on her homestead in Missouri. And, and it's going to be an interesting thing because it's the same weekend as the red pill expo. And I want to do both and <laughs> we'll see what happens. Uh, so we'll give you that heads up on that as well. But nutritional frontiers, remember all of their detox products they've got on sale new year. Perfect timing. Use the code RSB15 to get that 15% discount. Double dip on the already existing great prices from Nutritional Frontiers. And also sign up uh, any day now. They're starting the next series of courses at Trinity School of Natural Health, trinityschool.org. All right. With that, uh, let me just see. There are comments, questions coming in in the chat room. I noticed a, a one that was interesting from Valerie uh, George Little. And I think it was related to the well, what do we call it? The uh, homeopathic hit today, Valeriana. And I thought this was interesting coming from Valerie because isn't the root of Valerie from Valerian root? Isn't she named after the plant, Valerie? She could be good for sleep. Uh, Valerie, your maybe. name. It's like Valeriana. Valerie. What is the origin of the word Valerie? I've never looked into that, but... Uh, I just wonder it is. Was it Steve Winwood that did the song Valerie? Da, 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 da. No. I don't know. Oh, heck, let's ask Michael Bolden. Does he know? <laughs> Michael Bolden, there you are. Oh, wait a minute. He hasn't been on in a while. We got to do this. 
Para. Ni preview. There he is. All right, now it's official. Bring him in with the mother. <laughs> Hi, Riot. Hi. That's all he's got to say. Howdy. Thanks for being on, Michael Bolden. All right, we appreciate you. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, that was Michael. No. Yes, all right. I will see you guys next month. <laughs> oh, no. It's been so long. Next year. Uh, oh, my gosh. We miss you. What's cooking? What do you want to talk about? Dude, it's it's all wide open. Heading well, dude, into the- you haven't been on in like a month, right? Yeah. What's going on with to, you? Closer to two. Too much. What's been going on with you? Oh, you know, not too much. Just hanging out. Okay, that sounds. This exciting. is engaging radio, isn't it? I'm telling you. You know, we're so out of practice with you on. We don't even know how to talk to you anymore. This is just not right. <laughs> it was the commercial time. break problem that the whole thing is going downhill from there. It, that broke it all, right? I mean, there. how are we going to survive without sponsorship? Well, that's true. And and you know, hey, I saved it. I saved it. Come yeah. on now. Speaking, speaking of actually, you know, and that was cardio miracle actually that I, I I interrupted there. So let me just bring that up for just a second here. Oh, They've yeah. got a. They've got a huge sale going on right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll have an email going out to you guys um, okay. on that. But it's like this is like the biggest discount that they've given ever uh, for, for the year. So uh, it's it's like 120 bucks that you're saving on this bundle. Okay. There's a banner in the uh, show notes if you want to get a, 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 a jump on it uh, mm-hmm. before the email goes out. Um, but in any case, it's definitely worth checking out. If you're looking at stocking up, this is that one time a year that where he does the deep discount when everybody's like, "Yay, I can stock up for the year. So this, is, up, this right. is the time to do it. So check it out in the show notes, the big banner. And, uh, if you're subscribed to the newsletter, you'll get an email this weekend. All right. So there you go. Sounds great. And, and I was just going to give a plug as Michael's back for the 10th amendment center. You guys can personally sponsor them to keep them going. Go to 10thamendmentcenter.com, become a member of one of the only, maybe the only group that I'm actually a member that would actually have me, which tells you a lot about them. I hope that's good. <laughs> Pretty problematic, be, actually. actually yes. Very dangerous to have me as a member, but Bolden, you don't live anything but dangerously, and we love that. Man, I just got back on my Cardio Miracle morning regimen, too. I had, uh, during the, the Christmas season, it's so, so busy. Christmas season through April is just over-the-top busy for us. And because uh, it's nullification season yep. when the state legislatures are in session from around January through around April or mm-hmm. so. Uh, so that's our busiest time of year. And I had been just crushing coffee instead of my morning, morning matcha green tea mixed with Cardio Miracle, which is just kind of the easiest thing for me. And I just kind of got back on that this week. So I speaking of no, had a big purchase and missed the sale. Yeah. Look at look at Lori's question, though. It's perfect for nullification season. Michael, can you explain nullification? I don't understand that. Oh, do you guys it's want that? Or we want to get right to it? Since it's been a while. No, that's actually a hard one because it's pretty complex, to be honest with you. I mean, the short version is, is it's a tool to enforce. It is the tool to enforce the Constitution when the government violates the rules given to it. Thomas Jefferson, in his uh, draft for the Kentucky Resolutions of 1798, told us that where powers are assumed, which are which have not been delegated 
a nullification of the act is the rightful remedy. So anytime the government goes beyond its limits, you're not supposed to sit around and wait till you can somehow magically convince the government to, uh, you know, do something it never does, which is limit its own power. You're not supposed to sit around and wait uh, for the government to say, whoops, sorry, we never were supposed to do that thing in the first place. You need an enforcement mechanism outside the federal government to keep the federal government in check. Nullification. Now, it's a very broad term, really, because when Thomas Jefferson talked about that in 1798 against the Alien and Sedition Acts uh, from the Adams administration, he didn't give any particulars on how to deal with it, uh, how to actually implement it. And James Madison told us, for example, there are various ways to do it. A refusal to cooperate with officers of the union is a primary one or states using legislative devices. So you have a combination of action by the people and the states to refuse to comply with federal acts that makes that, well, in essence, especially now when you're talking about the largest government in history, which relies on the states to implement most federal programs. That's how they put it themselves. When half the team quits, the partnership doesn't work too well. So it's really all about opting out, saying, no, we're not going to participate. And you have to look at each situation kind of individually on the best way to approach that. Well, I hope that helps, Lori. That's my short answer. I, I mean, it's a great question. Yeah. And, you know, we've talked about it for many years. And I guess to your point, and I like to think of it in the simplest of terms, you know, the, the, the ability, willingness to say no and mean it especially in response to, you know, government, government agents, et cetera, that would try to force you to do something that violates your freedom, your fundamental freedom, and or specifically may violate the constitutional limitations on the actions and behavior of government at any level. The important thing to add, though, is that Jefferson followed that statement where powers are assumed which have not been delegated. A nullification of the act is the rightful remedy. So, first of all, I want to point out that it's not just some mere good idea to try later on after everything else has failed, after voting the bums out over and over and over doesn't work to limit the power of government or going to the courts doesn't work to limit the power of government. Even if you can find isolated incidents, instances which show a kind of a, a short term win in the big picture, if you zoom out they are totally failed strategies. And that's because the people aren't following the actual strategy that's supposed to be used, which is resistance, noncompliance and other forms of nullification. It's the way to deal with every usurpation of power. And Jefferson told us that if the states and we're when we're referring to the states, we're not referring to state governments. We're referring to the people of the several states, the people of each state uh, in their highest sovereign capacity, their final authority. If they don't actually make the decision of what is a constitutional or not in their own state and deal with it in their own way as what they see best fit for their situation, then what you're doing is you're actually going to the federal government and asking the federal government to make that determination itself. Jefferson said that's putting a people under unlimited power. So if the government gets to determine if the government violates the rules given to the government by the people of the states, that government has totally unlimited power. That's what they fought a long bloody war to get sure. away from uh, against the British. I, I, I spoke about this particular issue with Jonathan Emord yesterday. You know, it's fascinating because. Oh, I missed yeah, it. Yeah. I missed it. It was specific to the Texas attempt under Article 1, Section 10 to defend its own border. Yeah, what was his take on that? It's really interesting to me, the whole thing going yeah, on. Yeah, and it's worth replaying from yesterday's show because he went into detail the description of the obligation to defend from invasion. Uh, and of course, the, the suit from the, uh, the Biden administration against Texas is based on supremacy clause. And I said, 
isn't the supremacy clause only in effect when it's in, you know, congruence with the Constitution? He says, yeah, exactly. They're not doing their job and what they're obligated to do. The states then also have an obligation under Article 1, Section 10. And so he feels like it'll end up at the Supreme Court. And I said, you know, what if the Supreme Court gets it wrong? And I said, isn't that what the 10th Amendment is for at that point? He agreed, right? Even though. Oh, juicy. Yeah. So the point is the, the Supreme Court isn't the final word. You know, when they get it wrong, the states and the people have an obligation to stand against it. And so that was a significant discussion point, I think, on a very hot topic right now. Can I back that up just a moment, Mm -hmm. too? Nullification doesn't rely on a federal court agreeing with the states. This is about the states making a determination or the people of the states making a determination of how they're going to proceed whether any branch of the federal government happens to agree with them or yeah. not, because the Supreme Court could get everything wrong. What's let's say they said the Supreme Court decides that, well, some federal gun control is constitutional, like the National Firearms Act of 1934, the Gun Control Act of 1968 and the rest of them ever since. Well, does that mean we have to sit and comply with it until we get permission from some unelected, unaccountable, politi- politically connected lawyers? until they change their mind and decide that they made a mistake. Jefferson again told us a free people claims their rights as derived from the laws of nature and not as a gift from their chief magistrate. Mm -hmm. So it's up to the people to learn how to exercise their rights. It's up to the people in the States to learn how to protect and preserve their own constitution and their own Liberty, whether the government happens to like it or not. And the government does not like it. They tend not to. That is true. Nope. Uh, Bolden, can you turn down your, your input volume? It's a little hot. And if we moderate it here, it'll end up clipping, not because of you, but because of the, the system that you, you run in through. So bring your input. I'm just running hot personally. Yeah, well, you are you know, pretty hot. I know everybody loves you. My- I dropped it down about 10%. All right, that Super working? Don, you come bring it in and let's talk about it. So there's less to do in post. Let's just go. Just, just continue on. Continue just carry on from there? Nope. Yes. Okay. I'll let you know. Well, a personal note, uh, Michael, since we hadn't talked to you officially on the air, but, you know, people are concerned about your ability to not have to hobble along because of the low back issues. How are, How's the progress? I know you're out. I see great pictures of you and Sarah Beth doing hikes and things. So that's encouraging. I'm here functional. Yeah. Are you staying? I'm on month 10 mm-hmm. and uh, I am getting much closer. I'm having some days where it's like I have no injury at all. And then other days where I get two or three in a row where it's pretty rough. Uh, But I think it's gotten to the point now where I've recovered enough that even if I kind of screw up and I get a little slouchy in my posture, uh, I just have to decompress and do some like extra core exercises and I'm feeling pretty good. So I'm really positive about it. Thank you for asking. Are Are you standing or sitting right now? I'm yeah, standing. Yeah, no, that's good. We're all standing. Doing- I rotate. You know, I was only standing. I couldn't sit for like months. I sat zero minutes a day for mm-hmm. months, and I was actually laying down for like 20, 21 hours wow. a day. And then I switched to only standing because I could, you know, or and standing and laying down and alternating. Now I rotate uh, between a chair with good back support, standing. I do lots of walking. I'm walking about six miles a day, uh, breaking up into three different times throughout the day. And that helps out a lot, too. And the the um, uh, the elliptical seems to help a lot. I think it's my SI joint, really. And so that motion really does a lot. For nice. Me. Well, I'm so glad to see you upright. I don't know if you caught... Um, uh, Tom Woods last week. We always have fun with Woods. No, was it uh, good? Yeah, I think, yeah, it was great. We, and, 
Was he talking about his new book? Because that's pretty yeah, exciting. Yeah, well, a bit, we, a bit about the new book. Also, you know, I always was fascinated about his journey, you know, from far in on academia, of course, uh, mm-hmm. and and the belief system in, in you know, the medical community and what happened that blew it all up, COVID, et cetera. And, you know, to me, again, his, to his credit, you know, that the, the intellectual integrity, all of that uh, brought him to a point where he became, you know, almost a subject matter expert of all the things they got wrong. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, yeah. I always, you know, harken back to the first time we, we all connected through the nullification tour back in 2010 and how they liked my message, except when it came to a lot of medical stuff. Um, there was this like, whoa, 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 what is he, you know? And, and I thought there was a blind spot among those that love liberty. They, they, they exalted, they didn't like government, but somehow medicine was beyond reproach and you couldn't criticize it. And, and I saw a maturation perhaps of the liberty movement during this time frame to say, my gosh, we were, we were played, we were duped on that. And, and so there was some discussion of that, which I was always fascinated because I, I like to, to learn about the journey of how people get where they are and why they believe what they believe now. Tom had a really interesting journey on foreign policy as well, and he gave a speech for us in 2011 here in uh, Southern California when we were still in L.A., and he talked about how he was kind of your kind of garden variety, neocon, pro-warmongering kind of guy. And over the years, he learned that, well, if I think government is terrible with everything domestically, which a lot on the right and even the neocons tend to be, how do you think that they're suddenly magically just going to do the right thing when it comes to foreign policy? doesn't make sense. And some on the left are the other way around. Mm. They think that, uh, you know, we don't like these warmongers. There's not as many of those anymore. Yeah. But somehow we want those same warmongers who's responsible for killing all these people to be in charge of health care of my grandmother. Uh, there's a real kind of disconnect there. And Tom uh, really put that together in his own transition uh, from you know, being opposed to the size and scope of government domestically, but not foreign, and then recognizing that it's all all bad. the same. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, again, these are the journeys I love to uh, uncover, discover, and and discuss. And uh, Michael, the uh, the greatest article I see this hour, and we could talk about this and a lot of other things, but this one's really cool in New Hampshire. Uh, and this is at the Tenth Amendment Center, the blog, and we have it linked up in the show notes at robertscottbell.com. The headline reads, this is by our buddy Mike Mahari, who's worked with the Tenth Amendment Center for years, too. New Hampshire bill would end state cooperation with CDC or WHO mandates. Mike, hallelujah. I mean, are they, uh, is this the first you've heard about this today? I'd heard mention of it, but we had not really covered it in depth. So okay, perfect, nice uh, to have you introduce what's going on in New Hampshire, how good this is. And we, by the way, we talked to um, Emort about he he was uh, instrumental in the uh, the GMO labeling bill in New Hampshire that mm-hmm. won, and then the federal government put the Dark Act to counteract it. Right, um, so New Hampshire is an interesting place. It can put together some pretty good nullification type legislation, but often the feds will try to override it, and they did successfully, unfortunately, uh, with that other thing on GMO labeling. But what's the story here? Well, I think that's what makes this type of approach different. Rather than the state saying, we're going to require certain entities to do A, and the feds say, we're going to tell those entities that they're not allowed to do that same thing. That creates a conflict that ends up in state or in federal Mm -hmm. court. 
One of the most effective ways to to actually undermine federal programs, any of them, again, as I mentioned before, the, we're told over and over and over again, even the National Governors Association during one of these uh, fake so-called uh, federal shutdowns, I think this was the 2013 edition, they told us they were concerned about the shutdown because states are partners with the federal government on most federal programs. And again, that dirty little secret is partnerships don't work when half the team quits and half the team quitting is exactly what jefferson was talking about not participating in a federal program james madison told us the same it's uh, federalist number 46 refused to cooperate with officers of the union was what he told us to do on a state and individual level if you want to defeat the federal uh, government without relying on the federal government to limit its own power which never happens. So when it comes to almost anything the feds do, basically what should happen on a state or a local level is the first step is to say, we're not going to participate anymore. We're not going to help you implement this anymore. We recognize you have a personnel and resource problem. And sure, it's not the end of the story, but the way to get the ball rolling is saying, we're not going to help you. And that's what this uh, piece of legislation in New Hampshire, I believe it's House Bill 1156, which has like six or seven co-sponsors. Uh, the session just started this week on Wednesday. So it is in a committee uh, and it would ban the state and any political subdivision. So localities, et cetera, from uh, participating in the enforcement or implementation of uh, guidelines, recommendations, et cetera by the CDC or the World Health Organization. Uh, they're just saying, we're not going to make those decisions based off of them. If we wanna make decisions on health, we're gonna make our decision based on what New Hampshire decides for New Hampshire. Well, think about the the push from a federal standpoint to not participate in the WHO and what they would like to capture through what they call treaty uh, to say, you know, you no longer have the autonomy as a, as a country to determine or a nation to determine what to do in response to these health threats, et cetera. It's, you know, again, duplicated as above, so below at the states going to the feds going, we're not going to do what you guys want us to do if you even align with the WHO, much less our own CDC. Now, that doesn't mean now, mind you, again, this doesn't mean that New Hampshire would magically become the free state for real. Yeah. But again, this is the first step. And here from Meharry's report, he says the legislation specifically states that, quote, any requirements, mandates, recommendations, instructions, or guidance by either organization, that's CDC or WHO, shall not be used in this state to justify any mask, vaccine, or medical testing requirements and shall have no force or effect in New Hampshire. It's going to be hard to get that thing passed. Uh, but certainly with a lot of grassroots support, people calling the committee, I believe it's in the House State Federal Relations Committee. If you live in New Hampshire, you want to call personally, make a phone call. Don't send an email. Call every member of that committee and say, hey, I support House Bill 1156. I would like you to give it an ought to pass recommendation. This is how the committee process goes in New Hampshire every Every bill filed in New Hampshire gets a committee hearing, then a committee vote, and every bill gets a vote in the full chamber as well. If the committee gives it an OTP, ought to pass recommendation, then it's almost certain that the House is going to pass it. If they give it an ought not to pass, it's almost certain that it's not going to pass. We do see kind of anomalies on that as well. But the more people that call those committee members today and in the days to come, the more likely it'll get a positive recommendation coming out of that committee and have a chance of actually passing the full chamber before going to the Senate. Another positive story in the new year. It's by you, Michael Bolden, the 10th Amendment what? Center. Yeah, I know. We have it. No. We have it in our power. No. 
to begin the world over again. That's not my message. That's Thomas Paine. Well, look, you're echoing it in a time when most people don't know. So if you want to claim it, I won't tell anybody. <laughs> That's in uh, from his appendix to Common Sense, which was first published uh, January 10th, 1776. He said, we have it in our power to begin the world over again. And certainly there were more people on board or a greater percentage of people on board with rejecting the empire, rejecting control from a far off government and in support of liberty and more localized uh, decision making at the time than we have today. But we still have the tools to get things done. We just have to understand the foundation of how things are supposed to be and how things are supposed to be enforced. As long as people continue to rely on elections and lawsuits and federal court or federal elections to limit the power of the federal government, things are only gonna keep getting worse. Now, I'm not saying don't vote. Uh, if you wanna vote, vote, but recognize that almost every person that you vote for, even if they sound awesome, is probably an oath breaker. Because if we're taking the standard the constitutional standard of what it means to follow your oath to support and defend the Constitution. St. George Tucker St. George Tucker wrote the book View of the Constitution of the United States in 1803. Jefferson thought this was, for example, this was the definitive way of you know explaining the Constitution of the uh, founders and ratifiers. And Tucker told us that anyone who is in office who takes an oath that does not actively oppose any act just either by like participating turning a blind eye or anything else if they're not actively opposing unconstitutional acts from the moment they're enacted they're violating their oath so in essence it's almost impossible to be in office today and not violate one's oath uh, and that's why the rightful remedy is the way we really need to be dealing with stuff. Well, the 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 concept is, I, I would argue, deeply spiritual, really, you know, to go there. And I know that for some that's uncomfortable to hear this. I talk about this stuff so people are used to that. Uh, but the idea to create the world anew, I mean, think about the origin of this Republican form of government that started with a Declaration of Independence and you know led to the Articles of Confederation and a Constitution that was quite unique in the history of, of governments. And they created the world anew in a sense. Uh, it's something that had never been done to show, well, it's impossible. People say it's impossible. Well, look, look what they did. And that was a long time ago. And consciousness wasn't nearly what it was. And the way we look at humanity, I think average folks, not those that are subject to and, and, and play along with the Hegelian dialectic, we had uh, Scott McKay on in first hour talking about uh, racism, collectivism, all of that, uh, and how people are, you know, subjected to a deceptive form of everybody hates everybody because of skin color scenario. And, you know, it's easy to fall prey to that. And this is how I believe. And and I think even in well, Jonathan's book about the authoritarians, the progressive era from, you know, the 19th century to today. It's, do you just happen to have? I do. Like literally just right there. That's it was awesome. just right here. Yeah. It, what else do you have? Do you have some copper? Uh, yeah. Here we go. Right here. This some is copper amazing. right there. So yeah, no good stuff. Awesome. I try to have it at hand all the time. I don't have my tenth amendment membership card. It's in my wallet upstairs. I don't even have mine. I have mine. I I do not travel anywhere without. Just so you know, Michael, I how I feel. Uh, but the uh the the movement towards the 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 divisiveness, the vision. You know, there are folks. We got to be honest about that on the planet, much less even in America, that don't like freedom or don't want us to be free. And we see that, that maybe you are, to your point, they might go into government with good ideals, high ideals, and they might become uh, corrupted by power or they might become 
compromised by certain circumstances. And then, you know, if we allow that power to be exerted that doesn't belong in the government based on our founding documents, then we're always going to be vulnerable. And even if, you know, the, 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 uh, the constitution in a sense hasn't changed, even though there have been many amendments, the vulnerability we have again is thinking that just to your point, sending a good person in would change it. Now, you know, I support Jonathan Emore. He's a good friend. I've known him for like 30 years and I've witnessed this man's behavior over that time. A man of principle loves the, the country and the constitution. I believe it would be a benefit to the people of Virginia and any of us to have someone like that in Congress orating, is it orating, you know, communicating and having an influence, a sphere of influence to maybe make things marginally better, but that doesn't solve all our problems, but it, it's not bad. You know, the point is, I don't look at that as now you don't have to do anything else. And I know that's not. Well, I, th yeah. th I think that's the problem because most people actually look at it as that's the end of the right. story. What you need to do is throw some money at some candidate, uh, press a button or whatever. I've never done it. <laughs> whatever they yeah. do uh, to cast their ballot. And that's the end of the story. But that's not what sh that's literally just the reinforcement to the resistance, non-compliance, and nullification. Because if the people who are in office are giving us stuff that they're not authorized to give us, of course they need to be replaced. But first of all, we need to stop what they're doing without, like we're not supposed to sit and take it until the government decides, whoops, sorry. And really there's never a wholesale cleaning of the house. You get one or two people in there to kind of push the needle and move things forward in a good way. But certainly in the meantime, we're literally surrounded by tens of thousands of unconstitutional, illegal federal acts, laws, rules, regulations, orders, mandates, and the like. And uh, they're not just going to magically disappear. Government, <laughs> Lysander Spooner wrote uh, in uh, his essay on a trial by jury, I believe it was 1852, basically, that tyrants care nothing for discussions that end only in discussions and do nothing to interfere with the enforcement of their laws. They don't care. We can say, we can yell, whatever we want. And until we take the actions that actually interfere with their enforcement, uh, it's not going to change. Mm -hmm. Can I talk? I just pulled up that quote from Ch St. George Tucker on the oath. Is, is it dumb to read? Where read is that? it? It's a, uh, oh, what Super do you mean? Don, does he have it? No. You want me to yeah. read it? Okay. So any acts of Congress to be binding must be made pursuant to the constitution. That's what you were talking about. RSB, mm -hmm. the supremacy clause, the supremacy clause only kicks in when they're following the constitution. He said, otherwise they are not laws, but a mere nullity or what is worse acts of usurpation. Mm -hmm. He said, the people are not only not bound by them. So you're not bound to follow the stuff that they're not authorized to do. He said, but the several departments and officers of the governments, both federal and state, are bound by oath to oppose them for being bound by oath to support the constitution. They violate that oath whenever they give their sanction by obedience or otherwise to any unconstitutional act of any department of the government. So it is, I personally think it's impossible mm -hmm. to be in office at any level today and actually 
have total fidelity to one's oath. And I know people have told me like, oh, dude, you're going over the top with the strictness on on how you're trying to have adherence to the Constitution. But to be honest with you, this lack of strictness hasn't been working out too well. And maybe we need to have kind of a better line in the sand on what's authorized and what we're what we're tolerating, what we're not tolerating. Well, yeah, those who stand on principle are very rare indeed. You know, that's why they, you know, in history, we look at statesman, elder statesman, you know, and we talk about Ron Paul often in that context because he was someone who would not budge in the midst of, you know, the four, what was it, 434 to one <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah, basically. Uh, and right. how rare that is. But he also opened, by what he did, the possibility for others to come in that had never seen that happen and inspired, you know, maybe generations of folks that maybe they're never going to run for that level of, of office, but maybe some do. Uh, to perhaps, you know, incrementally on one level, again, as the battle is everywhere, we talk about the the death by a thousand paper cuts or whatever. It's a little here, a little there, a little there. But to your point, and I agree, it isn't just about pulling the lever and supporting the candidate. That's one part of a bigger strategy. And I don't negate, you know, those that want to do that. I'm happy if you feel like that's the bliss you're getting. But please listen to what Michael Bolden, the 10th Amendment Center are talking about, because it's much more than that. It's how you live your life. It's how you communicate what's important to you. And if we truly believe that freedom is worth fighting for, maybe even dying for, and it's like, I, I'm not arguing that, you know, anybody here wants, I don't want to become a martyr to any cause necessarily, no. but the willingness to defend it is something that has to be, you know, those that would deny us those freedoms or try to trample upon them need to know how serious we are, not because we say it and they're, we're bluffing, but they need to recognize that we have a principle that we're standing on and there's the line. And now we find out if they have the strength of their convictions or if they're truly cowards, they're truly afraid of us. And this is why they hide behind the, the power of uh, uh, the false power of, again, unconstitutional governance. Well, they want us to think that they are all powerful. And of course, the, the federal government, the state governments, which are really oftentimes just tools of the federal government due to funding and all kinds of other stuff going on. They want to, they're very dangerous people and they will use violence against people, but they do not have the capacity to enforce all their so-called laws, regulations, and mandates. If you just look at the ATF, for example, they've got like 5,100 employees for the entire country. About a third of them are in administration, just pencil pushers. So I don't know. I went to government school. What's the math on that? Like 3,500 left. They got like 3,500 enforcement agents for the entire country. They have a capacity to close somewhere between eight and 11,000 cases per year. And to be honest with you, that's eight to 11,000 too many in my book. But think of it this way. If there were 10 or 11 million undocumented short-barreled rifles, all in violation of the National Firearms Act of 1934, there is zero chance they'd really be able to do anything about it. So it's ultimately up to the people to learn how to exercise their rights, whether the government likes it or not. And it's up to the states to stop helping the federal government enforce stuff on the people of each state that the, it shouldn't be happening. And we see this type of thing happening. That's basically what we were talking about with that uh, bill in New Hampshire to say we're not going to participate in the enforcement or implementation of what the CDC or the W. WHO has to say, and that's House Bill 1156. We also see uh, other legislation like this moving forward. House Bill 51 on federal gun control in Ohio mm -hmm. right now. That should be coming up for a vote in the next couple of days in the full House, possibly. Uh, that already passed out of committee saying that they're not going to enforce federal gun control in the state of Ohio. And this is an important step forward to bring these programs to an nice. end. Nice. 
I don't know if you got a chance to listen to one of my Sunday conversations a couple of months back. I think now I did with uh, the Reverend. I've actually never heard a single oh Sunday gosh. episode yet. I, I know, I know. They're really I, you know, like, I'm a Monday through Friday kind of dude. I know, I know. And for some reason, I keep missing the and Sunday. By the way, sneak preview for this Sunday, our good pal, Coast Guard Corey, is going to be my featured Sunday conversation. And he signed cool. on to a letter to the, you know, I don't know if it's DOD, Pentagon, and every everyone that perpetrated the the unconstitutional mandate for people in the armed forces. Oh, and right. he signed on to that, and we're going to be talking about his journey. You know, he's been an activist in his own right from from within the Coast Guard. He's no longer he retired because he, he knew when he had to get out based on that mandate. Uh, but we're going to get a backstory on his journey uh, into what he do, does and how he believes and and how he lives his belief, which is to me is so much fun. But one of the interviews I was uh, bringing up right now, Michael, and you know the situation. I've talked to you before on and off the air about it. Uh, the denial of our passport renewal based on <laughs> the, the so called slave numbers. And um, we fought it. Not we didn't even, even though there is an active court case, but the court case has pushed because of successes within it. Uh, the State Department to acquiesce to our right position, correct position under the Constitution, even that there is no lawful authority to mandate the use of those numbers to have a passport for travel, U.S. passport. And so, based on religious freedom grounds, First Amendment, etc. Uh, we were able to successfully push it back, and they changed the the actual policy. If you go on the uh, statedepartment.gov or whatever it is, the site for the passport, you'll see that they do make an accommodation for religious belief on that number in order to get have or renew a passport. Uh, so this is uh, uh, you know still something that's uh, you know when you talk about a David versus Goliath or the all powerful federal government, there are ways if you know what you're doing. And I know most of us don't because we think only lawyers know how to do this stuff. It's not true. Many times the lawyers won't do this stuff. Uh, so I, I bring that up as another aspect of you can create the world anew that the power to heal and the power, power to make these changes is yours, even as a lot of this stuff is horribly wrong and bad and the power structure is so corrupt, et cetera. There are still victories that occur within that, that I hope bring a little bit of light and hope for those that think it's hopeless. Cause I don't believe it is. Yeah, and I tend to have a bit of a cynical side, so I don't want to oversell how far we we've come. Because again, we are we are living under the largest government in history. It has absolutely nothing resembling what the founders and ratifiers gave us in the Constitution. So there is a lot that needs to be dealt with, and it's not going to be fast. There is no silver bullet. Anyone promising you just do this one thing, it's all going to be done. No, it's going to take what Samuel Adams called is fortitude and perseverance. You have to keep pushing on. Jefferson said the ground of liberty is to be gained by inches. We have to be contented to secure what we can get from time to time and eternally press forward for what is yet to get, because all power always tends to grow. We know that old uh, saying power uh, corrupts and absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. But power always seeks to expand. Abigail Adams told us it's like from the grave. It cries, give, give. And that's really because it brings a lot of people to their grave as well. So you always have to have this perseverance, pushing forward, take what you can get, teach other people that liberty is the path uh, that we want to be on, show them by example in small ways, and then build upon that over and over and over. And again, I don't want to like make it sound like this is going to be easy, because we're not going to get from where we are today to where we want to be 
in what Jefferson called a feather bed. You don't go from despotism to liberty in a feather bed. It does take some risk, but we have to be smart about that because like you were saying, we don't want to be martyrs to the cause because once you're a martyr, you can't do anything more. Yeah, uh, There's got to be a way to stick our neck out uh, a little bit and encourage others to do the same. I mean, we look at the cannabis issue. There are what, 37, 38 states define Washington, D.C. And then there's talk in Washington about how they might decriminalize at some point. But they weren't they'll never get to that if the people in the states hadn't already defied them in the first place and made their enforcement regime almost impossible. They just can't get it done. Mm. We got to do the same thing on virtually everything. Yeah. OK, can we talk food? Always. Always. I'm fasting today, but I'm going in. It's my fault. I can't blame anybody for this. I'm just thinking about, can you meet me? I had some of my own homemade bone broth for lunch uh, about nice. 10 minutes and that, before that we started chicken here. in the pot you had the other day. Whoa. That I, was... Yeah, that I followed up. I did like a 20 to 24 hour bone broth out of that too. I added chicken feet for the first time ever. I thought it was going to be mm-hmm. weird, but man, there's a lot of you collagen. Got good collagen for that <laughs> Which is oh, good man. for your connective tissue and your recovery. Oh, yeah, my bad. Yeah. Uh, I was just saying, can we meet in Vegas? Come to Vegas. Did you say yeah. meat? I like meat. meat. Well, yeah, but you can have that meat lover's pizza if you want. But I know how sensitive you are to certain things. But there's this food truck we found that is everything's imported from Italy. All the heirloom, wheat, everything. And you know how sensitive I am. We're all organic. We ate that thing and we oh, did yeah. great. Oh, it was nice. a lot of fun to have that just as a treat uh, to do. And then we found, actually, my daughter found one, uh, this organic coffee shop that had everything. You can get burgers. You can get anything there. Homemade French fries, homemade potato chips, all organic. Uh, so fun stuff there. And, you know, if I can't meet you in L.A., come to Vegas, and then we'll hang out there and have a, a you know, a little bit of festive, uh, uh, delicious food eating. But I, I still want to visit you, and you can show me around to some cool places we haven't seen yet down there in L.A haven't eaten that yeah, yet exactly when's the vegas event oh anytime you you say meet me there oh i thought you had a gig that you were going there well for. there are always options but you know i'm there seemingly it's a it's a kind of you know second home kind of thing maybe first home oh no way what's That's happened awesome. and revolved there so there's a lot going on and so we're finding good things to do and and cool. my buddy stefan is in a new uh uh retro burlesque show it's kind of like 1950 sensibility it's really funny to see at the same time a little horrifying some of the ads and you know the advertisements if you ever watched that show mad men years ago about uh you know male dominated everything you see that kind of thing playing up like wow that was wild and hopefully is this like a story time thing well it's like a drag queen story hour the theme of it and he's got of course the uh he was in Cirque du Soleil so he's an kind of oh so he's really super athlete acrobat kind of doing a a kind of dynamic duo kind of thing it's pretty cool but anyway it's not for the faint of heart too it's it's sort of adult but it's not also over the top in that sense either but as I said there are some really good uh things to do that are creative and and enjoyable and you know having friends that are engaged in the creative arts as well. You can appreciate the the high level of fitness and and uh, acrobatics as well that you can see there. For sure. That's pretty yeah. cool. So anyway, I don't know what's for dinner tonight, Michael Bolden, but do you know what Super Don has done, his New Year's revolution? I, the org, I mean, he's more hardcore on this than me, I'll tell you that. Well, and how many years, and, and the thing is, you know how I beat people up and I make faces at them when they're not eating like I eat, right? Because that's, <laughs> no, I don't do that. Uh, but the, the, 
I guess the point of acknowledgement recognition that when we look at our bodies and we begin to see the relationship between health, vitality, functionality, just like anything, when we talk about government at a certain point, do we say, I just gonna, I'm going to tolerate the bad stuff. When you see cause and effect relating, you go, you know what? I don't like what I'm feeling and I see the relationship. So I'm going to make an a, a overt decision to, yeah. to do better in some way, shape or form. And I, a lot of people that that's a rev, re, resolution may or may not stick for some, but when it's committed to uh, something more than just, I think superficially losing weight, which is a lot of things people just lose that right away, but to really commit to health and vitality based on the things we talk about, it may be an easier choice to make. I don't know. I don't think any of it's easy to be honest with you. <laughs> it really takes a lot of commitment. And for me, everything has to go slow. Mm -hmm. So even where I'm at with my own health, all everything that I do is just a very slow process, building new habits. Always so easy to just kind of get into eating a bunch of sugar. Yeah. <laughs> and for me, that's always been very easy. Mm -hmm. Well, we had some, I guess, organic sugary treats in the last couple of weeks. My son had his 24th birthday and we had an organic cheesecake. Oh, it's so good. And oh, uh, my wife made a, a organic pumpkin pie, you know, it's, it still had some sugar in it, but the sugar was not refined in the same way that you have the crack cocaine version of it. It still had minerals present. Uh, and of course you do a little extra chromium and vanadium to handle it. And there are ways to navigate those occasional delicacies. Uh, so we've had some fun with it and, and managed to come through just, just fine. Thank you. Sarah made an organic uh, maple bourbon pecan pie. Ooh. I don't know if you can get organic bourbon. So I think maybe it does it exist. Full. Yeah, it does. I, I don't think what we okay. had was listed as organic. Right. So mostly organic mm. maple bourbon pecan pie. The pecans definitely were. All the sweetener, the crust. Uh, that Man, that is crap. Oh, yeah. Well, these are the fun things like I can talk about with you as well as all the other stuff. But uh, like in the health of the body politic and to your body, right? When you recognize a dysfunction. Now in our culture, Michael, we know that we've kind of put the responsibility for our health onto this elite ruling class monopoly. Oh, that's a good way to describe right? it. And, and so we don't think we need to do anything. It's kind of like voting in a sense, if that's all you're doing, right? You're like, well, maybe they'll correct it from afar if I give them my vote or if I, you know, buy health insurance or give them the money to do whatever that they're not doing that yeah. addresses the real issue. And, and so just like the difficulty of thinking, you mean it's more than just voting? It's the same way. You mean it's more than just going to a doctor when I have a symptom, right? It means I got to eat. I got to do. So I, I've always tried to see an, an anal analogies, if you will, right? The body politic, healing mentally as well as emotionally and physically and economically and politically. The principles that apply to the body tend to apply to everything. When you start stepping back and looking at it, you navigate the language a little different. And what I see you do is very much what I try to do with a lot of health topics that are maybe not political, even though I don't look at. Yeah. I mean, it's plan. garbage in garbage yeah. out. Right. So if we want to be more healthy, it's put better quality stuff in us. I mean, I'm preaching to the choir here. And same when it comes to like our own freedom, mm. as long as we keep taking the garbage, yeah. that's all we're going to get out of it. Yeah. Hey, Super Don, can you open up your mic and camera? Because we have about five minutes left in today's broadcast. And uh, you reminded me we have an urgent meeting right following the show. So we won't be able to do bonus round today, which is Correct. very unusual. Um, 
What? Yeah, I know. Unless I, hey, we can leave it open for Bolden and he can take over until he's <laughs> He can be the bonus he, guy. He yeah. Um, but oh, I've heard that one before. Michael, we're working, <laughs> we're working on a, a really comprehensive long COVID recovery type summit separate from the show where I'm going to be interviewing very specifically on the topic of what people are going through and how to remedy it. And, mm-hmm. and so there's a lot of work behind the scenes and we have a, a meeting that just came up uh, to prep and move it in earnest forward because we've been working on it for months and it just was not possible before the end of the year and now the new year. Now we're getting there. So I'm very excited about it, but at the same time, there's more work to be done. That's pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I wanted you in because Super Don, it would be neglectful of me not to have you in discussion the last few minutes with Michael Bolden because just it's just that way. All right. Yeah. Well, we can we can spend the next five minutes talking about my shirt. Yeah, the shirt's awesome. And yes. You like that? It's like a bowling shirt. That is pretty it cool. It is. I've got a oh, I see a little rolling little stone. Rolling on stone. There. This this is the eighties one with mostly eighties <laughs> stuff on it. I've got another one that has like two thousand stuff on it. Nice. And then the one I wore day before yesterday was my Eddie Van Halen guitar. Oh, uh, shirt that has the stripes and stuff on it from his his Frankenstein yeah. uh, guitar. Yeah, it was a Christmas present. That is yeah. Cool. He's lit up like a Christmas tree every day on the show now. With that's these right. They're not quiet shirts. Is Quiet Riot on there? <laughs> uh, no, Twisted Sisters on there. I don't think Quiet Riot is on there. Okay, Alice Cooper right there. Was Quiet Riot seventies or eighties? That was eighties or both. Eighties. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Rat right there. Oh, rat and roll. Wow. Ray White. Bon Jovi. Man, you guys are you guys are bringing me back to ninth. There's even Mr. Big. Look at Mr. Big right there. Anyway. Remember (laughs) Mr. Big. Yeah. Anyway. So what are you guys doing this weekend? Let's get into the real, real uh uh serious stuff here. Well, I'm working. Always always working. I'm always, always working these I under, days. I understand that. I am traveling uh, to meet, guess who, Jonathan E. Mord, along with my buddy Paul Bertero, in support of his candidacy. We're meeting a, uh, a supporter in Florida over the weekend. Why weren't you traveling on a Friday like you normally do to blow me off? Well, I don't know. I, I just, I tried, but it didn't work this time. I'm like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, no, like I really can't. wanted, I really wanted a Friday travel day. I, was like, so I didn't have no, to talk you to can't this make guy. me. I, I'm not missing another <laughs> Friday. I don't want to miss both. So I'm traveling tomorrow, but be, be back. Uh, I think Monday is a travel day. So we might have, have to do an encore Monday. But that better because we don't miss Michael Bolden. We didn't this time. And look, Leslie missed you. Oh, I was running errands and missed most of Bolden. Well, you'll have to rewind. Yeah, the she show, was Leslie. expecting there to be no Friday show. Yeah. No, we made it sure. Or some some other schluff being on. <laughs> Wasn't going to miss Bolden this time. <laughs> Hi, Leslie. So when are you leaving for the big ninetieth birthday? That's pretty exciting. Yeah, I'm going to fly in. We're going to have uh, we're going to have a birthday celebration on the twenty eighth, uh, a day before on Sunday for my mom. Uh, this month she's turning ninety, which is a wow. Think about that. That's just crazy to consider. And you know, if you see pictures of her on you know the social media, it's like. That doesn't look like 90. That's a, yeah, no, really crazy. But uh, she's doing great. And hi, mom, if you're out there watching today, 
And Michael Bolden loves you too. I thought I saw Mickey pop up in the chat. He's probably in the chat room too. And so uh, we're going to have a fun celebration. And then I've got a couple of trips back to Atlanta in March because I got two big events in March. So I'll get some, some real good time there in that area with mom, which is fun. So if anybody's in the Atlanta area and wants to celebrate, reach out to Super Don, whatever, and uh, we'll see if we can connect you because that could be fun. I've only been to Georgia once. I did an event many years ago uh, outside of Atlanta and I went, I found some like kind of dive hole in the wall breakfast place that looked like it was in a, a shack. And I was fascinated. Uh, like, I think I got there for lunch, whatever, but you'd pick like your main and your side mm -hmm. and your veggie. And I was fascinated that in some areas of Georgia, Mac and cheese was considered as a vegetable. It was listed as a veggie <laughs> section. <laughs> oh, like, this is pretty cool. Yeah. They know how to eat in the South. <laughs> I, I collard greens was the side and mac and cheese was under veggies. back in the day when i lived in atlanta 30 years i grew up there uh you know i got honorary southernized uh biscuits gravy right all of the southern oh, stuff man. we do you know i think I, we put, showed a picture we had uh uh what did we have for uh collards black-eyed peas you know all that stuff for, for oh, amazing and stuff. if it's anything like louisiana because they're they're sort of close to each other uh you know, over here on the West Coast, mm -hmm. the idea of going to a gas station to get food, <laughs> you're, you're thinking, man, right? I mean, you're going to have like botulism yes. and food poisoning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So down there in the South, that's where you want to go to eat. Yes. Because yes. the gas stations have the best food. I even saw that in Kansas City. Uh, Sarah's family, a lot of it lives in, a lot of them live in Kansas. Mm -hmm. And one time we were in Olathe many years ago. And I'm like uh, to her cousin's husband, I'm like, hey, Bob, show me some good barbecue. We're in, we're in Kansas, near Kansas City. He takes me right to a gas there station. There you go. And right. I was just, yeah, that that really hits home because that's where I think, I think that's where the small businesses are. The people, the individuals who've just been All making the mom and the pops. recipes from grandma's. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like oh, yeah. this is great grandma's recipe and they've just been doing it all along. And if you're, especially in a smaller town, that's kind of the place where people go to gas, pick up all their stuff. Gas station catfish. I mean, that would just be oh, like, my oh, my, you'd, you'd be running the, oh my God, no. Oh, great. Just yeah. absolutely great stuff. Then you get there and then get the. My mother would never eat catfish, Jeez. but I love some people. Some well, they're they're like, oh, that's bottom, bottom feeder fish. fish. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, bottom the bottom feeder. That's all that's the, the good, good stuff. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is it possible to get an organic catfish? I don't know. That's a question I don't. I haven't answered yet. That's a good one. I have not I, had catfish in a look, long time. The Deep time. South was not the culinary capital of organic food. Honestly, it was very no. difficult <laughs> when we were there to find any place we could go out to eat. Um, I, I'm assuming that it, a lot of that oh, has yeah, changed, changed a lot. in recent years. Cause I've heard like, even when I was living in, in Milwaukee as growing up, it was very hard to find, like, as I was shifting out mm -hmm. of the just really garbagey diets early on yeah. and started to learn as I was looking for stuff, it was very difficult. Like you had to go on a hunt mm -hmm. every time I would visit to try to find food. But now most cities, you can find it small to medium sized cities. It's yeah. there's always a couple of places that, that are either all organic or raw. That coffee or shop like I that. found in Vegas is, I think it's LA based. So there might be one near you for all I Do know. Do you know the name of all it? All organic stuff. And um, by the way, the organic uh, Thai restaurant. I look forward to, to seeing mom and having that Ooh, too. Nice. Anyway. Do you know the name of that coffee, sh coffee shop? Uh, I had a picture of it. I put it up on social media. So I'll have to look back mm. at the name of it, the signs in the picture. Um, so we can check it out, but we're going to wrap up because we got a meeting in two minutes. Michael Bolden. Okay. I love, love you guys. Love you too. Sarah Beth, give me, a, give her a hug for me. 
and uh, can't wait for two weeks from now. Hopefully I'm not traveling. <laughs> I'm trying not to. And uh, with that, y'all, thank you for being on board. Thank you to the other Scott McKay, not the Patriot Street Fighter. We didn't have him on, but I like him too. But uh, great discussion on uh, collectivism, racism with his new book as well. And uh, Bolden, everybody check him out, 10th Amendment Center.com. And uh, it's what Bolden's name says in the little badge there. What does that say? I like the font. It the power to heal is yours. Thanks for having me. Back.